The Fanfic Writers Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fanfiction with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Joe, aka Pebbly Sand, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. My co-host, Lani, writes online under the name Copper Dust. You'll meet her shortly. In this episode, we talk about research in fanfiction. We discuss the importance of it, but also talk about our drastically different approaches to it. Lani reveals how she researches every fic that she writes, while I explain how I mostly integrate things that I already know from other sources into my stories. We touch on the different methods of conducting research, from being broadly interested in a historical period and place, to researching specific details of canon as you go along. We also discuss the challenges of researching for fanfiction, including finding credible sources, the need for accuracy, and striking the right balance between staring true to the original work but adding our own twist to the story. Lastly, we answer a question from our lovely listener, Sugary Makes Stuff, about how we keep track of all our research material. But for now, buckle up, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. And welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. This is Joe. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, it's been a while since we last recorded uh, because I think Lani and I were both on holiday at the same time. Uh, so how are you, Lani? Feeling refreshed? Yes, I'm much better. I think morale's lifted a bit at school since uh, we've come back from March break. That's good. That's great to hear. Um, any writing news? Anything specific? Or reading news? I have a lot of reading news. Um, I've been reading real books. Great. <laughs> Not really fan fiction. Um, but I just finished like four books. So I've, re- I've fully caught up on my Goodreads goal for this year of 35 books. And I, I, I'm glad that I'm getting back into the habit of reading because it was, it was bad for me not to do it for a while. Yeah, I mean, I think we all go through phases and stuff. Like I used to read so much more before the pandemic and then like now it's like if I finish 12 books a year like this is great um so yeah I think I used to read a lot on like commute and you know traveling and stuff which I haven't done which I didn't do for like two years so yeah hopefully I can read more this year but yeah I went on holiday for um and like had a friend visit for St. Patrick's Day which was great and then I got sick which was less great which is how Maybe if you hear me coughing, I'll try to edit it out, but if you hear me coughing during this recording, that's why. But apart from that, yeah, it's great. I have good news for a lot of people who might be listening to this podcast. I have started writing Castles again. Uh, Very early stages. I'm still kind of... I have only 1,300 words on next chapter, which if you know me, you know that's not a lot. Um... And just kind of going through edits, uh, rereading what I already have and like the beginning of the story um, to kind of get back into the moods because Castles has like a very specific tone and mood. And every time I leave it for a while, I need to reread in order to come back to it. Uh, but yeah, I am working, which is great. Uh, but yeah, good news. I know completely what you mean about like needing to get back into the mood because I've been trying to listen to all the music that I kind of helps me get into the headspace of check the spindle so I can actually finish the next chapter. And like, I just I have to get back into that headspace, you know? Yeah, it's about like the headspace and the tone and like the 
way it's narrated, I don't know. There's like something I have been listening to. I made a playlist for castles and I have been listening to that a lot as well. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, I'll have more work done and I'm hoping to really like try and get at least one chapter done over Easter break. Uh, because in Ireland, we get four days off. We get Good Friday and Easter Monday. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping to kind of be able to do a lot of work during those four days, uh, that four-day weekend. Um, But anyway, before we start today's episode, I just wanted to kind of let everyone know, in case you missed this on Tumblr, if you're not on Tumblr, uh, we have started a Ko-fi to finance the podcast. Uh, For context and for anyone who doesn't know, and I certainly didn't uh, before starting this weird endeavor, um, podcasts need to be hosted, meaning that you sign up to a platform that stores and distributes the recordings to all the main platforms, so like Apple Music and Spotify. You can't just like upload a recording to those platforms. You need a host to do so. And so obviously for bigger podcasted audiences, there's you know, either uh, advertising or promotion or things like that that are being done. Obviously, we are not one of those big podcasts. Uh, so we've been fronting those costs out of pocket. Um, and that's about $19 a month with the platform that we've chosen. So we've kind of opened up the opportunity for you guys to chip in if you really like the podcast and want to support us. The goal of the Kofi is to recoup the costs that we have at the moment. Although ideally, you know, if we could have more, maybe we would invest in the pod a little bit further, like buy new recording software or mics or, you know, ideally, ideally pay for our time. That would be wild. Um, <laughs> so, so thank you so much uh, to the people who have already donated. Like, this means the world. Uh, and if you'd like to join them, you can head to co-v.com forward slash uh, the Fanfic Writers Craft. And I'll put the link in the show notes. And we haven't really decided on like any benefits yet because we didn't really know what you guys would like or you know if there was anything that we could offer that we would have time to offer as well. But if you have any suggestions, please feel free to let us know. Um, now... Today, I'm very excited to announce that we are going to be chatting about research and fan fiction. I'm very excited because I know this is a topic where, first of all, Lani and I have very different approaches, I think, so it's going to be an interesting discussion, but also uh, because I think she will have a lot to say about it. So obviously, research is an essential component of writing any type of fiction, including fan fiction, and uh, when it comes to writing fan fiction, writers will generally draw inspiration from existing fictional universes, characters, and plot lines. But in order to do that in a compelling way that resonates with the readers, you also need to do additional research. This can involve researching elements to do with the settings, the plots, or even like historical events that happened around the story that you are you have chosen to write. It also includes studying the original work itself to get a better sense of the characters and the canonical events uh, that you want to reference. The latter is obviously very specific to fan fiction, like that's not something that you would have to do in normal original fiction. So um, it's a very interesting dual aspect of researching a story that you uh, that is very specific to fan fiction. And I was kind of wondering to kick off this discussion 
Lani, what kind of research do you do most? And what are your thoughts on this, on this general uh, presentation of the topic? I think, yeah, it is my favorite topic. Other, other, other than dialogue, which is one of our least listened to episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff I love is, I don't know, it's kind of niche. Um, yeah, so when it comes to my research for fan fiction, overwhelmingly, it's like historical and geographical research about like a, a different time and place. Um, I'll tell you what kind of research I very seldom do, which is actually like reading canon, <laughs> <laughs> like going back to canon. Well, you write um, AUs though, so that makes sense. Well, I have some AUs, but most of my stories are not AU. Mm. I only I only have like one AU and all the rest of my stories aren't. It's just that I'll, I only go back to canon when I have a specific thing that I really need, I really need answered. So like mm-hmm. in my story, Storgate, part of it is set during a scene that is already told in the main book. It's just, I'm telling it from a different perspective. So in that case, I reread canon to get down like the timeline and what literally was said out loud and like who was in the room. But um, I, I don't do a ton of like going back to canon. Obviously, when I write an AU, I don't need to go back to canon at all because it's just about the characters' personalities and the rest is up to me. And I already know their personalities for sure. Um, so what I'm overwhelmingly doing is like historical and geographical research. So um, it depends on the setting, like how much research I need to do. When I'm writing ancient Greece, that's like a lot because even the most basic thing, like when I'm writing Bronze Age Greece, like they lived in a very, very small world in terms of having access to things that were not grown or made in the place that they lived in. So it's like anytime I want to mention like a food, mm-hmm. like a fruit or vegetable or a, or a nut or something, any kind of food that grows, it has, I, I have to be like, would they have even had access to this? Like, and it's not always intuitive. So it's like apples, yes, peaches, no, mm-hmm. plums, yes, berries, sometimes, um, cherries, yes, like, <laughs> lemons no like it you know it's like fruit by fruit vegetable by vegetable you have to figure out what they had and didn't have so you know obviously bigger things you would have to research as well but it's like even down to the most basic stuff I mean I wanted like something to be cut I wanted to reference like hair cutting and then I was like damn did they have scissors and then that was like 45 minutes of me on the internet finding out like how do they cut stuff that's like not really appropriate to cut with a knife and then I found out the answer, which is like kind of neither a yes or a no, but they had scissors, but not the kind of scissors that we have. So just calling them scissors would be like the wrong <laughs> mental image. Um, and, and it was just, you know, and then it was like, but, but, but when you say they had in ancient Greece, like which period of ancient Greece are we talking about? And then it just, you know, so it, it gets really hard with stories like that. Um, Obviously, for more recent stories, you know, they they have a lot more of the stuff that we would recognize on a day-to-day basis, but then you're also, you kind of need to be more precise because other people are more likely to catch you making a mistake. Like, like in um, the scene between, it's set in Britain in the 90s, so I've had people read that story who were living there and... You know, they personally would know if I got something wrong. And I did get a few things wrong and people told me. So, you know, in that case, like, it's obviously a much more familiar type of place to me. And yet people are going to check you on it more. But I know that um, the the other thing is like when I'm writing um, 
British stories. Like I try to get the dialogue, mm-hmm. the, sorry, the dialect and the spelling a hundred percent. So that like I will use British spelling, I'll use the different sort of quotation marks. Um, so getting the dialect right is really hard. That's kind of a thing that I don't have to deal with as much with other stories. And it, it takes up a lot of my sort of research brain is just trying to make sure I'm using the right, the right language. I was wondering, do you, so when you're a reader of a story, when you're reading a story, does it bother you when like someone gets something wrong? Yes. Okay. Okay. That was- <laughs> Because, like, cause like, for me, for instance, it doesn't really, if the writing is good, like, if the writing is really good, it doesn't really bother me. Um, I know that, for instance, Dirge Without Music routinely writes mom instead of mum mm-hmm. in her fix. And I just, I don't mind because I just find everything else so good that I'm just like, ah, you know, I will mind it if the rest of the fic is not great. Like, if it's a, if it's a subpar fic, and then the dialect is just like really bad. I just it adds to the factor of me disliking the fic. But if the writing is just like generally really good, I'm able to look over certain dialect mistakes or things like that. I find that the more research and elegance the writer shows, the more disappointed I am when they make an obvious mistake like that. Because like one of my probably my favorite fanfic writer of all time who in many ways has done like a tremendous amount of historical research and gets so many things so right, will then say, in, you know, in a British story, like that they pulled over to the gas station liquor store and got it and got like a, a, what's the phrase she uses? She uses like some, it's also like an American phrase for like a certain size of liquor. And I was like, man, how are, how are you this good? And you don't know that they don't call it a highway. They don't call it a gas station. They don't call it a liquor store. They also don't sell liquor in the gas station. Like how, how did you, how did you, and, and that you didn't check yourself on slang terms for alcohol because those are very geographically variant. I'm like, how did you manage to mess all these things up in one sentence? Well, I can tell you because they're like me and they don't care. Um, so, so this is the thing, right? Okay. So this is the funny thing about us. Laddie does a lot of research. I do. No research whatsoever. Um, well, I do a little bit and I'll go into it like later, but I think generally speaking, I'm not someone who's very interested in research. That's like, that goes beyond just fanfic. Like when I was, you know, when I was in law school or whatever, I'm just like not someone who's interested in doing research. Um, so yeah, like basically I just, I just do very little of it. I'll do, I'll do checks. I'll check certain details. Like today I was riding castles and I went in to check canon to see what colour Ginny's dress was during Fleur's wedding because I wasn't, I thought it was gold but I wasn't really sure so I went and checked that. But generally, most things I'm just like, eh. I remember there was this really, there was this instance when I was riding the Fulton Fulton Manufacturing where I was so I basically posted on Discord because I was planning to use the Irish expression to shift, like the, the verb to shift, which actually means like in American English, it would mean like make out with someone or snog someone. At, and I wanted, I posted on Discord because I wanted to see like if people would understand it in context. So if I needed to provide like a little bit more explanation in text, because I was like, I, I I know this is very Irish. And someone said, oh, I think it's fine in context, but you should probably check if that was used in the 90s. And I was like, I should, but absolutely never going to do that. Like, I would never bother with 
Do you know what shifting actually means to American teenagers now? Because I can tell you, it has a really specific meaning that is going to blow your mind. What do, does do it not mean? Know? No. So shifting is like a TikTok and to some extent Tumblr, but mainly a TikTok trend that refers to like imagining your favorite character's world and like deeply meditating on that world until you feel like you're in it or like you are that character. And then imaginarily in your mind, like walking around and experiencing that fictional world <laughs> while you're, ba it's basically a form of like imagine imaginative meditation, but it kind of overlaps with like the um, like other kin and Therian world of of like imaginary identities like right. like you are draco malfoy because you shift into being him and then you live <laughs> i mean yeah. a lot it's of, like, like, a lot of people... irish teenagers would like to shift draco malfoy yes <laughs> but yeah um so yeah no in ireland it means uh it means yeah to make out i remember when i was in uni they would give us like jumpers with sort of subject that we were studying and a sort of pun that we had at the back and I remember I remember the nursing students was like nurses get the best shifts which meant in context like mm -hmm. you know um, they get the best fucks basically or like it's not really fuck it's like more make out um, but yeah so yeah. that was a that was a little bit of Irish for you but just to come back to that like yeah. I just so this is like the amount of research that I'm willing to do which is none I was like this is a very fair point uh, which I will completely disregard because I cannot I cannot be bothered to research if that was something that Irish kids said in the 90s um, so yeah that's kind of that's kind of me uh, but since you're so big into research I was kind of like wondering what's kind of your approach about conducting research for a fanfiction story and like do you have a particular method are you are you that much of a Ravenclaw um, I would say it, it, it kind of starts the other way around in the sense that first I'm really interested in a in a period and a place and time as well as a vibe, but vibes are hard to research. And then after I realize that I've actually already read a lot about it or learned a lot about it, that's when I get an idea for a story. So by the time I start writing the story, I've kind of, I've already learned quite a bit. And that was like what made me interested in writing the story in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but then if it's like, depending on the challenge level of the project. Um, if it's, you know, I'll, I obviously do online research, but I'll also like read books, uh, which are these things made of paper that are like three dimensional objects kind of shaped like a <laughs> rectangular prism. And uh, obviously like online research. And um, I might even like ask people if it's something that's within living memory, right? Like obviously the 20th century, and then I'll ask people like, you know, what was it like? Or I'll ask a specific question, not necessarily telling them why I'm asking that question, but I will ask. Um, so for example, when I was writing Check the Spindle, it, you know, it's kind of about little girls in the 60s, like Lily Potter is, Lily Evans is the main character and she's a little girl in the 60s. And um you know, I wanted to, I described the clothing a lot in the story. And I went into my mom's old photo albums because she's born in 1960. Her sister is about two and a half years older. And so the pictures of them together wearing their dresses that like they often wore like matching dresses and photos, like had the exact kind of aesthetic look that I wanted for Lily and Petunia. And so, mm -hmm. you know, for that sort of thing, like I was actually inspired by some of the specific outfits that I saw in those photo albums. Um, but also I'll do a lot of reading and 
Um, I have access online. Like, I, there's been a lot of drama over it because I think they're taking this away. But archive.org is a website where people are used to the Internet Archive, but they also have a lot of books that are available for free, and, and including some books that would be really hard for me to get through my library. So I'll like mm-hmm. read things that I find in archive.org. I've even used, there's a special link you can use to basically get access to academic page, papers that are paywalled. So if you use Sci-Hub, you can find academic papers. That would be my option of last resort because they're really a pain in the ass to read. But uh, for some Vietnam stuff, I just wanted some like basic statistics and information on certain things that I really had, had to go to academic papers to read. Um, another thing that I might do is kind of like sensory immersion. So this is like, you know, part of my, uh, story, Mary men is like, they're walking a lot in the jungle, carrying, you know, 80 pounds on their back, getting really exhausted in like a hundred degree humidity. So for me, I would just like take walks around my neighborhood, wearing a backpack that's really heavy and just like notice how I felt. Like, what does it feel like to be tired physically, to feel that pain in your feet, What does it feel like to carry something around that's heavy? It's just, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just noticing these things and thinking about what they feel like. But but the main thing I would say that I do is read. And I also watch like, I watch a lot of movies and documentaries as well. I'm I'm silenced because I'm like flabbergasted. (laughs) I'm like, the amount of work that that must be is... I mean, I also, I also like was a girl guide leader for a year because of Check the Smith. It's so much work. It's so, so much work. I, I would never, like, it would never even occur to me to be like, oh, what does it feel like to carry a a backpack? It's not like I've never carried a heavy backpack. It's just like being mindful when it is happening to me. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I think, so... I do agree with you that, like, I personally am saying I would obviously not do research for the purpose of fanfic. Like, I wouldn't do... Usually what I will write about is stuff that I'm already interested in. Like, I wouldn't say, oh, I'm going to write this story about, like, something that I have no idea about. Because I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people hearing me speak like this will be like, but your your stories are so real and they're so well-researched. And I'm like... Because I don't do research for the purpose of fanfic. That doesn't mean that I don't know things. Like, a lot of what I write about in Castles, and I don't want to get into specifics because that kind of goes into my work and I kind of want to keep that private, but a lot of, like, a lot of the stuff about sexual violence against women and stuff is something that I was trained about in work like it's stuff that obviously I'm very interested in on like a private level and and, you know something it's something that interests me but it's also something that I've had to research and do a lot of training on because of past past work experiences and so you know obviously I've taken that and then because I'm interested I will write about it in castles but it's not something that I am actively researching because of castles it's just something that I'm interested in and that I know from like other sources that I will put into fix. So that's kind of the way that I research. It's the same thing, I think, for something that was a little bit more specific, but I would never do like the thing where, you know, I'm writing a story that happens in 1999 in London. It didn't occur to me to be like, what happened in London in 1999? <laughs> but I don't, okay, Joe, like I literally, I'm sorry, I'm really struggling to understand because like, for me, if I reference a song that's released in, let's say, 
1995, then I'm going to check, was it like February 1995 or like August? Because if my story is set in July and the song is released in August, then it's like, how could this story be referenced? How could the song be referenced? And you, you're telling me you don't check that stuff? So um, this is Joe from the future. I would check that kind of thing. And I was kind of, I was re-listening to the recording there and trying to understand why that is something that I would check versus all the things that I wouldn't check. And I think the reason for that is I will check something if it's going to take me less than five minutes to find the answer, right? So if I'm going to reference like a song or something, I'm like, okay, that'll take me like two minutes to Google it, uh, not even like 30 seconds to Google it. So that is something that I would check, but I wouldn't check like something that would take me more time than that. But anyway, back to the episode. I don't know. I would never go in and be like, okay, what happened in London in 1999? Like that wouldn't, that just wouldn't be interesting to me. But at the same time, I'll be interested in the world at large. So, you know, the, the whole kind of in castles, there's a whole story about the Brixton bombings. And for anyone who doesn't know, there were a series of three bombings that happened in London in April 1999, which were, uh, which were done by someone who was a far right activist and he targeted specifically certain communities and there were three bombs planted around London and that's something that I learned through like just me watching a Netflix documentary and then I was like huh this happens in 1999 maybe I could use this in castles and I think it came at a very important time when I was building the relationship arc between Mia and Harry and I needed something to trigger the sort of beginning of the breakdown of the relationship and I was like oh this would fit within the plot because xyz so that's kind of how I approach research but it would never have occurred to me to be like okay did something important happen in London in 1999 like no it was me watching a Netflix documentary and then bringing that into the fix that's what I do it's like I research things or not really research but I look up things or I, I, I watch things or experience the world through other means like my work or just you know watching a documentary or reading a book or something and then I will bring that into the story same thing I read a book I think it was last year about um, the trials that happened after the second mm -hmm. world war in France like not Nuremberg but more like the trials that happened in France especially the ones that happened in the 80s after certain war criminals were caught in South America and like were shipped over to Europe and the book kind of talked about it and then I used what was said in that book to kind of bring in those elements into castles and into the trials that I was looking in but I would never have pointedly researched that it would it's always stuff that like comes to me and then I bring it in to the to the thing I mean for me I guess the reason that I would start from a certain date and then be like you know what happened is because like if I always relied upon the stuff that I personally just know in my head without looking anything up I'd kind of be referencing the same few events over and over because like I'm only human I don't know everything that happened especially you know before I was born in places that I don't live in like I wouldn't know what what the new sort of local news was in that time and so you know I don't want my writing to come off as like you know there's some writers who like every story they write is really the same story. 
put into a blender and remixed. And I, I, I don't like that. I like to be surprised by my own writing. I like for everything I write to have something that like I didn't know until I was writing the story and looked it up. Because I, I like to learn stuff from my own stories, which obviously is like at some level you can't because you have to be the one to write it. But I, I, you know, I will look at a calendar or a timeline and go like, what was in the news on this day, this day, this day, this day, and this day, um, depending on depending on what I'm writing and like what the context is. Mm. So, you know, this is Joe from the future again. And I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna comment on uh, what Lani is saying on this episode as I go along, because this is like giving me a lot of thoughts that I didn't have when we recorded. I think the thing is, I just I do the same, like, I like learning things, but I just kind of trust that, like, random stuff will come my way. Um, Like, a couple of days ago, I was, I stumbled onto this thing on YouTube that was kind of like a video, and I'll link it in the show notes, about um, festival culture and Coachella specifically, and the way that sort of Coachella has changed festivals and music festivals and kind of especially influence the way that music festivals look now versus the actual performance especially and the kind of difference between Coachella and festivals in the US and festivals in the UK you know I like random stuff like that will I ever use this I don't know but I might so I think that's kind of the thing it's like oh I read this like random book about the Klaus Barbie trial because my favorite author wrote it and I was like oh that might you know I I like him so I'll pick up that book or like I was born one night and watched a Netflix documentary and was like Hmm, I could use that in castles. So I think that's the way that my brain works. And as soon as it's like, I have to research something for a fix specifically, then it feels like homework and I don't want to do it. Whereas, you know, I kind of trust that like random knowledge will come my way and then check whatever I can check within five minutes when I'm writing. I'm not a researcher and I'm not someone who finds this activity enjoyable in and of itself. So I just kind of you know, wait for random knowledge to come my way. And then that's kind of how I vary. I I work and I vary the topics that I deal with in fan fiction and in fiction in general is just, you know, kind of waiting for random stuff to come my way because that's just the way I experience the world. Uh, But yeah, anyway, back to the episode. So I I just like, to me, I would never not look things up because it, it would, it would bother me so much. It would be like wearing an itchy sweater with the tag in it and then like not cutting off the tag, you know, it, it would just bother me so much to not do that. I mean, I, I don't know if there's like, since I was 13, a story I've written where I wasn't, you know, looking stuff up and researching And, you know, obviously, as I've gotten older, I've been able to, like, grow the stamina to do more research that when I was younger, maybe I had only a certain amount and then, like, no more, like, couldn't stick with it that long. And and now um, I think I'm better at identifying when something is interesting enough to me that I can stick with it for a while. But, yeah, like, I'm always, like, I don't know, checking for something else. And, And a lot of it is, like, when I'm researching, there's stuff I'm specifically looking for. And then sometimes I do open-ended research where I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know that when I hear it, I'll, I'll know that it's right. Mm-hmm. I'll note like little some details I just hear it and I go that has to be my story like I love that detail it it works so well for me I'm stealing that and and so you know that kind of stuff like you can't look for it because you don't know what you're looking for but you need to be reading and listening to hear something that's gonna kind of catch your attention that way and you know if I only wrote about things that I knew for my personal life like those stories would take place in a very small world because 
It's not like I travel every day and my job is not terribly exciting um, or rare or unusual. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kind of want to expand on the world that I live in. I also think having read your stories, I think you're a lot more world focused than I am like you're very much a world builder like everything the world is very precise and you write about the world itself as much as you write about your characters I'm way more character driven so you know I don't need to have that much detail it's not like it it wouldn't I I don't know what I would be doing with it um yeah I guess when it comes to like Harry Potter or whatever my stories for the most part are like not very much set in the magical world I, I have a few that are more so and I have one that's kind of set in some ways outside of the world because March Hare is set when they're like hiding in a forest and there's just yeah. they're kind of not in the magical world or the muggle world they're just sort of outside of everywhere um But at the same time, like, I guess I do like having those elements of real world, especially since one of my gripes about Harry Potter is like, I wish it felt more like it was set in the 90s. Like, I wish it felt more specific to that time period. I understand that not kind of being set at any time makes it more timeless and like and easy for kids to relate to. And I get that. But it's this is just generally part of my whole like, I know it's a kid's book and it's appealing to kids because it's like this, but I kind of wish it was itself, but an adult book. You know what I mean? That that's that's the impulse. And like, I recognize it's a children's book and it's not meant to be for me at my age. But I, I do love for things to be in the world, although I might challenge you on this idea that I'm world building because I associate world building with like people who are really making their own like fantasy or science fiction world. Whereas I'm not building these worlds, like these worlds already existed. I'm like situating my characters in that world, but I didn't create those, those worlds. I I think I use, so I think my definition of world building has kind of changed and we can do, we'll do a different episode in world building, but Mm -hmm. I think my definition of world building has kind of changed because I used to look at it the exact same way you just mentioned, which is like. Mm-hmm. fantasy and stuff and in the past couple of years talking to people because I've had a lot of people telling me oh your world building in castles is very good and I was kind of like I don't really do that much world building and and then I understood that what they mean is like the whole political thing and like the whole kind of socio-economic thing, like world that is in castles and like we talked about in last episode and that's what they mean and so I'm kind of like it's kind of true that world building can be different things like yes it can be fantasy but it can also be literally building the world around your story and anchoring your story into a world and I think for you that goes that is very much about like the context and the time period and the places and all those kind of outside elements that you bring into the story and that you like digging into and describing and so I think to me that's a version of world building as well Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think if you define world building that way I think it's definitely world building in the sense of if you were a set designer for a play and you literally had to construct the world that exists around the characters and I think it's it's two things for me the first thing is that I'm a very visual person and I can see this stuff like a movie in my my head and then it's like frustrating Mm -hmm. if I don't feel like that's being reflected in the story um, and, the, and the other thing is also that I'm, I'm kind of like a very detail oriented person. And I will notice like the tiny details rather than just the big picture. Like I know what the big picture is, but I do kind of fixate on the tiny details, not just when there's mistakes, but when there's things that are done well, like I'll mm-hmm. also notice that I mean, I love um, I, I've been I've been reading 
a bunch of stories by an AO3 author called Viscaria Fields. And what I love is that you can't catch this person making a mistake ever, even when something's coming up where I think, okay, this is getting into a danger zone of something where a lot of people tend to make mistakes on this. And I'm like, I'm like, uh oh, like, you know, she's gonna she's talking about ancient horsemanship, like everyone always gets this wrong. But like, she'll never fuck anything up. Even when she does, she does, she has a story in AU that's set with the main characters being at the Olympics. <laughs> and she made a purposeful AU decision to set those Olympics in a different city in that in a year that, you know, it really didn't happen in that city. But that was a set decision. But she gets a lot of stuff right in terms of how elite level athletes would be treated in the Olympic Village and like, you know, having to eat a special diet and go to bed at a certain time and acclimatize to a certain altitude. <laughs> like she gets all of those little things right. And again, like every time you're like, it's gonna happen, like everyone makes this mistake. Like she won't she won't step in the pothole, you know? And and I really appreciate that about her stories that I can sort of trust her yeah. to not mess these things up. Have you ever felt like you had a project that was like particularly challenging? Um, yeah, I mean, Mary Men is a bitch to her. <laughs> it's so, I mean, it's like, I need you to understand like the level of nothing that I knew about war prior to this. Like, I obviously knew as like a basic human person, like I, I know what a war is, but like in terms of how it works, um, like here, here's my favorite example. So when I started reading about Vietnam, when I was reading the things they carried, um, I literally didn't know that soldiers are carrying their field packs or what you might think of as their backpacks. Like I didn't know that they're carrying their field packs on their backs while they're fighting. Like I, like, I don't know, some part of me thought they took them off for that. <laughs> but now I reflect on that and I'm like, did I think there was like a pre-battle coat check where you could like put... <laughs> put your stuff down before like what I'm just I'm reflecting and I'm like because it's clear to me now why they can't take yeah. it off like but I'm like D I don't know I guess I was like well it's like athletes don't play sports with their backpack on and I'm like but you understand that that is not the same thing but it's like I literally didn't even know they take their backpacks off when they fight like it's it's <laughs> that it's that much difference you know um, yeah I didn't eat, I didn't know the difference. I didn't know like anything about guns, basically. Like I didn't know what a rifle was. I didn't know what a shotgun was. I knew these were all types of guns. I had no idea what the difference was between any of them. I didn't know like what an officer was. Mm. Like you're probably hearing this and you're like, okay, I don't know a lot about war, but I know that that exists. But like, I literally didn't know the difference between an enlisted, enlisted person and an officer. I had no idea any of the ranks. Like I couldn't put them in order. I can't necessarily put the top ones in order, but I can certainly put kind of the bottom ones in order. Yeah. Like I just, I, I knew absolutely nothing. <laughs> I would literally be like, why are they taking their helmets off now and putting them on now? I mean, that one I, I figured out through common sense. <laughs> so I was just like, why don't you think about it for a bit? And uh, I think, I think it's a little bit self-explanatory, like when they would take it off or put it on. Um, <sighs> But so that that's been really challenging, like not necessarily as much because of the time period, because I know the 60s really well, but because of like, literally just knowing anything about what it is to be in the military and, and to fight like every everything I built, all of that knowledge I built from scratch within like the past two years. So, you know, that that was, you know, particularly challenging. But I have so many questions. Like, 
I have so many questions because why would you write about it then? Like, why would you why would you put yourself through all of this need to research all of these things? Because the stuff that interested me about the Vietnam War really hooked me. And that stuff is stuff I learned a few years ago when I watched the Ken Burns documentary about Vietnam War, which is like a 10 part. It's like a 10 hour documentary. I didn't do it in one go. I, I watched it over the course of about a week, but I found it so, so, so interesting. And when I started watching that, that documentary, I knew absolutely no, nothing about the Vietnam War other than that it happened. Like, I knew nothing. I, I, I thought it was mostly in the 70s. I, 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 I probably couldn't have found Vietnam on a map, to be honest. So I watched the documentary, and like 10 hours later, I was obviously a lot more educated about it. <laughs> Um, and there was just aspects of that war that really interested me. But I think the thing that made that thing switch in my brain was I came upon on Tumblr of all things, a copy of a real letter that I think a, a, a major or a colonel or something sent to Robert McNamara, which was discussing the level of kind of disarray and indiscipline and um, kind of kind of what a mess the military was, but especially the army the insubordination, the fragging of officers, the combat refusals, the drug use, all of that stuff was going crazy. And he, and he, the person who wrote the letter was kind of like a conservative uptight lifer, but he was saying like, listen, if you want to have a United States military, you better pull it out of Vietnam. Because he was saying like, this, this thing is like, you're not going to have a military at all. It's falling apart so badly. And he listed everything that was going wrong, all of which interested me a lot because I've always been more of a pacifist and not into being pro-war. So it really caught my attention because this is a war where like the prevailing ethos is actually that it's kind of bad to fight in it rather than good. And then there's all these, there's all these little details of the war that really appeal to me. I love the helmet graffiti and there's, there's all kinds of like the writing on the flat flak jackets and the writing on the helmets and stuff. Like you won't find any other war where you can see pictures where like each soldier's individual personality you can see in the picture based on what they've written because again, people were flouting the uniform. Like you're not actually allowed to write on your helmet or your flak jacket. Like that's not allowed. That was just being done because people were breaking all the rules. And they were wearing necklaces and jewelry and stuff, which again, they were not supposed to be, but they were. Um, and there's there's a level of um, personality shown in kind of the journalism yeah. of the Vietnam War that makes you able to kind of understand the experience of an individual soldier a lot more because because of how much breakdown and discipline was occurring, they're just, they're a lot less um, of like the green plastic army man that you imagine and a lot more like individuals where you you kind of see their suffering. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff to describe. It's also like in terms of leadership, it was like an epic shit show where like every single bad decision that could be made was made. So it's just, it's just interesting to me because it's not a story about heroism and great men like it's the opposite of that so anyway that's why I subjected myself to that whole thing mm, that makes sense I think um I think for me whatever will require a lot of research I tend to push to next time so to give an example like I think there was one thing that I kind of walked away from and it's not that I didn't want to write about it it's that I wanted to write about it right and I knew that I would need to do more research in order to do that and I didn't want to do it now because that's just like cramming research into my brain for a particular purpose it's just not the way that I experience the world and it just 
it, it's just not appealing to me. But I know that, um, so around the Brixton bombings, I the reason why I brought that story into Castles is because I wanted to show the breakdown of, of Harry and Mia's relationship. And also because the moment I saw that documentary and I realized this was happening in April 1999, mm-hmm. I was like, well, I have a character, an OC in Castles who is mixed race and who would obviously be affected by this. Like I was like, it's happening in her city. It's happening to people who look like her. It's being done by far right activists. Like, of course she would be affected by that. So I was like, it didn't feel fair of me to like know this information and not include it in the story. But at the same time, I was like, I want to make this about the breakdown of their relationship. It being muggle versus wizard rather than, talk about Mia's experience specifically and the first reason for that is I'm not in her POV so that would have been a bit awkward but also because I don't know like whilst I do know a lot about like the way racism happens in like France I do know quite a lot about that I don't necessarily know that much about the UK and I was kind of like if I want to write this further from her perspective on that particular topic because it is so sensitive I would need to know a lot more about it and I was like at this point in my life I don't know enough and so I targeted the story and I wrote the story in a way that I could not really gloss over because it, it, it does mention it but I could make it not the point like that's not the point of that particular storyline and so that's kind of how I handled it and like mm-hmm. that would be what I would call challenging is just me kind of being like okay I don't know enough about this at this particular point in my life to write about it so I'm just gonna like park it to the side write the story the way I want to write it which is like the story is she doesn't understand why she knows about the wizarding world and she doesn't understand why they're not stepping in and helping law enforcement to catch this guy and so that's kind of how i wrote it versus making it about her own experiences and and racism in the uk because i was like i don't know enough about that to write about it and i don't Mm -hmm. want to put in the work because that's not really the way i do research like it's more something well like pick up a book about it and be like oh this is interesting rather than forcing myself to do Mm -hmm. research about it in at a particular point so that's kind of how i handle these things i think yeah i think i we just kind of operate on different frequencies because i suit as soon as i think of like (laughs) you know what would be really hard to write because it's like deeply specific, highly technical and entirely unrelatable to my experiences, this thing. And then I'll be like, well, now I have to do it. Which is why I'm currently stuck in a hellhole of writing the dialogue for like how to call in a fire mission using air support, using radio terminology, using accurate map coordinate. And it's like, now I've really dug myself into the world where I have to do it. But I love that. I love that about you. For me, that's just not the point of the stories that I write. And it's not the, the point of writing. Like, I don't find that appealing at all. I just find that really cumbersome and not the what the way that I want to learn these things. Like, it's like, I do want to learn about racism in the UK, but I want to learn it for my own purpose and like for my own 
sort of education and not about like writing this particular specific fic because that to me is not enjoyable so I think we just think about it differently yeah I mean I think for me it's a little bit like it's not just the product it's the process and I like yeah I like going through the process you know yeah and I think that kind of ties into the question that we had later which is like do you think it's about writing a good story or do you just enjoy the research part and I think for you it's that it's like you just really enjoy the research part well no it's 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 definitely both like it's not one or the other i will say that like i'm not under the delusion that most not like 99 percent of people will never catch the mistakes that i do make i mean it's different when it's the british <laughs> dialect because british people will will notice that yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of things that I've triple checked. And I know that if I got it wrong, nobody would notice or care. And I also know that nobody is going to appreciate that I got it right. Like, I'm, I'm not delusional about that. But for me, it's this kind of thoroughness where I feel good knowing that even the parts of the story that nobody is going to check to see if I'm bullshitting or not. Like, I know that it's actually right and it's not bullshitting, <laughs> even though I know nobody else knows. It's kind of like for me, like, imagine seeing a sculpture that appears to be made of gold, but you're wondering, is it gold plated or is it really solid gold all the way through? And it's like, you can't tell unless you cut it open, which you can't in this metaphor, but it's like, I know that it's solid gold. We, when I was in, when I was in art school, we talked a lot about, this is sometimes a little bit more relevant when, when you're talking about art, art objects, but like the through and throughness of the object, whether even the parts that the viewer can't see or check whether those parts are done correctly too, or whether those parts continue with the same material all the way through. So like, I guess one example would be, imagine you saw like a dollhouse, like a beautiful wooden dollhouse on display, and you see they've put in like tiny furniture, and you see the little tiny fridge, but then you start wondering, but can the door to the fridge really open or is it stuck closed? And then you open the door to the fridge and you see, you know, there really is you know, little racks painted on and tiny little foods in the shelf. But then you start thinking, but could this little imitation jar of jam, could the cap really unscrew or is it just solid? And then you try and it really does unscrew. And there really is like little plastic pieces that look like jam on the inside like that. For me, it's that like going into a dollhouse and wanting to know that if I open the fake laundry machine, there will be tiny fabric clothes on the inside like I just I want it to be thorough all the way through even if no one notices I love that um that is not me that is like I would like the gold the gold statue that you gave as an example I'm like why do you care what like it, are you trying to sell it you know that that's how my brain works like it's like okay why do you care if it's gold or not or just gold plated are you trying to sell it but People all over the world are spelling are are spending a month's salary to buy a diamond ring that looks exactly the same as uh, quartz. But for some reason, everyone thinks it's important that even though they can't tell by looking or touching, it's a real diamond. So it it obviously does matter to a lot of people. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm just not one of those people. Um, so yeah. But anyway, regarding um, another thing that I wanted to mention is like researching canon. Do you feel like you research canon a lot? And especially I think this is true for Potter, but I think it's true for different things. It's like a lot of people will have not only canon, but also interpretations of canon. And those can be differing. And how do you research that? And how do you kind of reconcile all these kind of points 
that you can have in canon? Um, that's never been troubling for me because whatever interpretation feels right to me is the one that I use. And like, I don't care that there's other interpretations. I accept that there are, that's fine, but this is my version. You know, if I wanted to read somebody else's version, I could read somebody else's story. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to questions like, you know, is Harry Potter and the Cursed Child canon? Which I know some people would say like, yes, it is. And other people would say, no, it's not. For me, like, I'm not going based on who owns the IP or whether J.K. Rowling authorized it or, or whatever. Like, to me, it's like, do I like it and does it feel right? Um, I don't like it and it doesn't feel right. So it's not canon to mm -hmm. me. I know there are other people who consider it canon. That's fine. But for me, I just, I yeah. don't like it. And I don't, I don't accept it except for, there's a few lines in it that I do like. So those lines are canon, only particular lines that appeal to me personally, but the rest of it, <laughs> but the rest of it is not canon. And I, frankly, you can absolutely tell that it wasn't written by JK Rowling because it's not at all the way she writes, like at all. And, and it really fucks up the characters because I mean, partly why Rowling is yeah. so popular is because she's a master of character characterization but whoever sh these people who wrote the play like don't know what the fuck they're doing i'm sorry <laughs> i think we'll do a separate episode on on canon compliance and and au's and what that means to us but yeah i i kind of agree um i do research canon obviously i'm writing canon compliance i do research canon for details and things mm -hmm. uh, but i rarely i haven't reread the book since the pandemic that was my last sort of uh reread um but yeah i in terms of consigning different interpretations i mean this kind of goes to like fanon and canon and and all of that stuff i kind of treat the seven books as the and harry potter or like whatever is in the show if i'm writing about a show as canon and then whatever other people say i operate the exact same thing mm -hmm. like pick and choose what I like and what I don't like. Um, someone made a really convincing case about the birth dates in Peaky Blinders because like the ages of these people are a mess in canon, and I was like, mm -hmm. I like that. That is canon now. So I think um, I think that's kind of the way I operate. But do you have any kind of tips and advice when it comes to researching, um, especially canon, uh, but also researching in general? I think. Um, if you have any tips for anyone who's looking to do the kind of research that you do. I mean, I would say, like, it when it comes to research in canon, it really depends on the fandom because big fandoms like Harry Potter will make it really easy for you because there are websites that will lay out yes. all the events on a, on a visual timeline so that you don't have to reread all the books to find out the timeline. Like, there are people who will do it for you, whereas if you're in a small fandom, like, you're going to have to do that stuff yourself. Yeah. Um, but I, but as I said, like I don't I don't spend a tremendous amount of time like researching canon because I feel like I already know what happened in canon. I will check if it's a timeline thing, like what day did this happen on, or did this happen before this? Like mm -hmm. I I will check that. Um, I have I guess I have more tips when it comes to researching like stuff that's outside of canon. Um, and I'm gonna say something that I think a lot of people don't want to hear, but um, you should you should read a book. You should read a real book. You can go to the library. You can go to archive.org slash details slash texts before they take it away because I think there's some kind of lawsuit and they're going to shut that down. So make sure you're doing that as soon as possible because it's going to disappear. Um, <laughs> let's hope that uh, internet copyright violation continues and some other head of the Hydra will pop up once they cut this one off. But yeah, I, I know this is not what people want to hear because they want to hear about 
some like magical website that lays out all the information. But I, I'm telling you, like, of course, you can look stuff up on the internet. You can look up anything you want on Google, but you should try reading a book because you might learn something that you that it didn't occur to you to ask, that you didn't even think that you would have a question or, th or that that might be interesting and then you'll discover it. And also, if you're really not a great reader, you can yeah. watch documentaries. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. I actually agree with that. Like, it's it, that's why I don't want to do research <laughs> because I can't be arsed because it takes a lot of time. Um, you have a university degree. Yeah, and it was was it painful? Yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> awful. I hated every minute. Of it. Well, I didn't. Okay, no, I didn't hate every minute of it. But I think I like other aspects of law, and I like. I like certain things, but research was not one of them. Like, I hated the whole thing about, like, having to research. For, I love writing essays. I hate researching for them. Oh, I will I will say one, th one other thing, which is, like, if you can find a person who's an expert in the thing that you can just verbally ask or, or write a letter mm -hmm. to them, because, like, it's, you know, search engines are not as good as just, like, asking a human being who understands exactly what you want. Because, like, for example, there's a woman who's an expert in Alexander the Great on Tumblr and she'll like she's you know a professor she has a PhD she's academically published and that sort of thing so not not like a fake internet expert but someone with an actual career and um, she'll respond to her asks so all I've asked things that are like I tried googling this it's driving me crazy I can't find anything that's explicitly answering this so I actually mm -hmm. got to like just ask a person who could then respond so that's like super helpful. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to get to is we got an ask on Tumblr from uh, Sugary Makes Stuff who said, Hiya, how do you keep track of all the research goodness that you find? Also, uh, what do you do with this stuff that might not work for a particular story? Um, do you keep it all for later or do you toss everything out? 98% um, of the stuff I learn, I just remember. I only write down a very, very small portion of things and sometimes I don't even like write it in my own words. I'll copy and paste it into my section of my document that's for like statistics that I need. But often I have like a website that I'll bookmark and go back to if it has like stuff that I know I'm going to need again and again. Like I have um, a bookmark for like a specific map that I need to keep looking looking at online. And I, I use Lucidchart and I made like a sort of like a family mm. tree hierarchy chart to keep track of the characters and like who's in what role and what their what the authority relationship is and like what weapon they would have because it was just too much to remember but 98 percent of what i've learned like i read somewhere that if you're researching for historical fiction um you shouldn't write everything down because then you'll feel this need to include all of it and i feel like this was a bit of motivated reasoning where like i wanted to agree with that because i didn't want to write things down in the first place <laughs> so i was like willing to believe that mostly because I already wanted to get away with not writing stuff down. But yeah, yeah I, I hardly ever write stuff down. It's more like if I know it's important, I'll keep it bookmarked on my computer. I just I don't really take notes because I, I do remember a lot of stuff, especially because like I'll, I'll, I've been researching the same topic over and over and over and over again. So when you when you get really familiar with it, mm. you will remember because you've heard it so many times. As for do I keep it all for later or toss it out? Um, since it's not written written down anywhere, it isn't either kept or tossed out. Mm, yeah, I tend to keep so the the little that I research, I tend to keep in bookmarks, like things, especially to do with canon. So things like I have in my bookmarks, I have a timeline of Deathly Hallows 
I have the Bread Pickers Guide, which is quite good, uh, which is a resource of like someone who went through like all the kind of British, very British thing about Harry Potter and also the 90s. It's kind of a good resource. Um, Quidditch calendars, the um, floor plan of the Ministry of Magic, the floor plan, someone's floor plan of the Aura Office, because that's never been canon, but that is something that I found. Timeline of the Battle of Hogwarts, the map of Grimmauld Place, and then I'll bookmark now, now I've learned to bookmark certain things that I know people might ask me later. <laughs> like, when I wrote uh, the scene where Hermione tries on her wedding dress, I had a lot of people ask me, like, what dress is that? Like, have you found... And of course I found it somewhere online because I am incapable of thinking to myself a wedding dress. Like, that just doesn't happen because I can't... So, Joe, if you had to describe what the wedding dress looked like, how quick did you have to go from looking at the picture of the dress to writing it down before your visual memory would forget what it looked like. <laughs> well, no, I so I have two screens. So I would write on one screen and look at the dress on another. <laughs> okay, so basically one millisecond between looking and... Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I've done the same thing. So now I'm writing... Spoiler alert. No, I don't think it's a spoiler alert. Um, I'm writing Ron and Hermione's wedding and I was thinking... Of, oh, my God. They get married? <gasps> Do they? Wait, wait, wait. The Ron and Hermione, are they like involved are they a couple <laughs> yeah um but uh but yeah so i'm i was like kind of trying to find a dress for for Ginny, and i found the dress and i have bookmarked that because i know people might ask um and then i'm incapable of finding that link again so i'll bookmark it and also if i need it for reference because i again cannot ever remember it or like picture it in my head uh i have it so i have learned to bookmark those things but generally speaking I will not uh, I will not do that because I don't do research um so yeah yeah we're both kind of bad about the whole like I I think it's sweet that this person assumed that we both have like a folder full of notes yeah like I I would have assumed you did to be honest um because yeah you're the kind of person who would have to who would have that. See, but like I, because I don't remember anything in my real life, that's why I remember everything that I research. Because I, because none of my memory is spent on like remembering things from my actual job. <sighs> okay. Anyway, so thank you, Lani, for sharing all of your wisdom on this topic. Because I feel like I have. Uh, no wisdom to give and that was lovely to hear you chat about it and um, so do you have any recommendations for us this week um so the book i most recently um really loved that i've read is um the charioteer by mary renat um and then i also want to recommend a book that i think is a great example of a writer who i mean sh she actually had a phd in this area of history before she wrote the book so it's not necessarily that she researched for the book but that the book reflects the years of research she did for her PhD, but Slammerkin by Emma Donahue, which is set in the 1760s in London, really like dripping with, with, you know, intricate details that clearly come from years of research. Okay, that's great. Um, I am going to recommend, what am I going to recommend? I think I'm going to recommend this book with the caveat that I haven't finished it yet uh, but I'm really enjoying it it's called Expectation by Anna Hope and it's kind of like uh, women's fiction literary fiction um, a little bit like Sally Rooney kind of vibe um, but 
very like about older characters so they're like in their late 30s or early 40s and I think that's a time of life that isn't really talked about in that kind of contemporary kind of fiction and so yeah I really I'm really enjoying that book so I would highly recommend okay Lani where can we find you online I remain at copper dash dust on both tumblr and ao3 and I am pebbly send on tumblr and ao3 you can find the podcast if you have any feedback suggestions for topics for next episodes or anything that you want to tell us our ask box is open you can find us on tumblr at the fanficwriterscraft.tumblr.com and if you want to help finance the podcast our ko-fi is at the fanfic writers craft bye everyone bye